0: Evening. Tonight is our final lesson looking at the book of Zechariah. Over the last uh, several weeks, we've been looking through various lessons from uh, this book, and we're going to be focusing this evening on chapter 14. And as I have said before, as we look at the minor prophets, and we have one left. Uh, but we find the same problems in each account of these prophets, which maybe we have, we have said this before, but mankind hasn't changed all that much over the years. Sin has always been a problem. It sometimes has a different name, uh, appears in a different way, but it's still sin. And so while sin, sin still remains a problem, God, so again, is the answer, and no doubt always applies the solution to all those things mankind faces and the various sins that mankind sometimes finds himself uh, involved in. But our focus tonight is from Zechariah chapter 14, looking at the salvation and protection from Jehovah. And as we look at chapter 14, we're going to find as we go through this that. God is going to call upon individuals to either remain faithful to him, become faithful to him, or face his wrath. And as we look at chapter 14, we begin by looking at our first main point, that is testing the fearful, not the faithful, but the fearful, those who are afraid. And really it's a testing of Jerusalem as we look at verses 1 through 8. And we look at uh, uh, Zechariah 14, beginning of here in verse 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. And we, again, this won't be on the screen. We'll be doing this like we have been the last few evenings. But in Zechariah 14, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, "Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in, in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be shall be taken, the houses rifled." And the women ravished, half the sea shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And so we find that judgment is coming, but while a judgment is coming upon the wicked, we find that also a remnant is still going to remain faithful to God. And we find here the various hardships coming upon the wicked. The city will be taken, houses will be, will be rifled, the women will be ravished, Half the city shall go into captivity. The idea is just basically their enemies are going to come in and have their way with them because they have forgotten God. You know, the text doesn't have to use the phrase, they have forgotten God, to realize by their actions that they have indeed forgotten God. We find there in verse 2, the latter part there in verse 2, he says, "...but the remnants of, of the people shall not be cut off from the city." There's a remnant, a small group who are loyal to God. We think about that phrase, cut off. Cut off many times, depending upon the context, but can be a reference to either death, can be a reference from being cut off from God, can be a reference to them facing the wrath of God. But here we find here that they are not cut off from the city. They're not going to be taken out of the city into captivity. They're not going to face uh, punishment from the enemies around them because they are the remnant the remnant can also be you can also say it's the faithful because that's what they are that's why they're called that the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city those who are left who are faithful will not face the same uh, things that these wicked individuals are going to face and as we look at verse three he says here then the lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle Now, this is not a literal the Lord coming down and putting on armor and grabbing a sword and going against the wicked nations. But it's the idea that God is completely against those who are involved in wickedness. And when you use that broad term of wickedness, we may think, well, they're just having some struggles or they're not doing as they should be doing. Wickedness, many times, especially when we're talking about those we read about here today in this context, can be referred to those who are worshiping idols. They referred to their various sexual sins and lusts of the flesh which they were involved in. This wasn't just a sipping up from time to time. These people were determined to do evil, and for that reason, they're going to face, face the wrath of God. And we find here in verse 3, says, The Lord is going to wage, uh, will go forth and fight against these nations. And so the Lord is pictured as waging war against the wicked, against the rebellious. We all at times are going to fall short in sin. The Bible tells us that that's going to happen. But we look here in verse 3, what stands out is not just that they're called wicked, but they are rebellious, which means they know what God's word is and they rebel against it. They know what God desires from them and they say, no, we're not going to do it. They are rebelling against God. They are rebellious, wicked people and that's why they're going to face what we find there in verse 2 as we find in verse 3 the Lord being pictured as coming against them in verses 4 and 5 he says in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west making a very large valley half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south and so we find here as we look at verses 4 and 5 that God is going to make this way of escape For the faithful. We're not talking about literally perhaps moving mountains, but the idea there's God who can provide a way of escape for the faithful. He says there in verse 4, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountains shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. We find there in verse five, then you shall flee through my mountain valley, from the mountain valleys the mountain valley shall reach uh, to Azil. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzzah, the king of Judah. Thus, the Lord my God will come, and all His and all the saints with you. And so again, that wave escape. You know, the apostle Paul also mentions a similar idea for those who are faith, facing temptations. He writes to those in Corinth when he tells us that no temptations is overtaking you such as common to man, but God is faithful, and not you to be tempted beyond what you are able. With the, what, but will. Uh, Make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it Now this here is actually spoken of in in this context In a more literal sense This valley, this path for them to escape The faithful to have this place uh, A way to escape from uh, those who are being punished But we also know the Lord always provides ways For the faithful to remain uh, out of harm's way While he brings his wrath upon the wicked we think about Noah. Well, one of the reasons he was in the ark is it kept him out of the path of punishment of the wicked. We're thinking about Lot and escaping from the cities. Uh, one of that one of those reasons was to keep him out of harm's way. But you think about both times, in order to be involved in that escape and that place of safety was to have to be faithful to God. If you weren't loyal to God, he wouldn't be going through the mountain valley. If you weren't loyal to God, he wouldn't be in the ark. If you weren't loyal to God, he wouldn't be leaving out of the city with Lot. No, you be those you'd be, you'd be lumped to and those who are being punished. Looking at verse 6, he says here in verse 14, chapter 14, verse 6, It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light, the lights will diminish. Now, we think about this. This scripture is, is a day of distress. And we know that earlier prophets have spoken of such, like Joel and Joel 2, uh, verses 2 and verse 10. Some it, put, picture this as an idea of it literally being that it's going to be night during their during their battle. I won't go as far as to say that, but the idea there is darkness and no light. is used many times, either one shows sin or two to show a great distress or a great battle. We find that during the destruction of Jerusalem, that same similar descriptions are used in Matthew 24 and also in the book of Revelation there, uh, how darkness is used to describe, uh, uh, to use to describe uh, times of war and times of, of great destruction. And so there will be no light. The lights will diminish. Verse seven says here in verse seven of chapter fourteen, it shall be one day which known, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. And so we find here in verse seven, helps come from the Lord when distress, uh, when distress becomes despair. We also find here in verse seven that no one will know that day of that. Of that punishment of that wicked of the punishment of those wicked people he says but at evening time it shall happen that it, that, it, that it will be light now this is not a application to the coming judgment day because no one knows what time when that's going to be so it must be a reference to this coming judgment upon the wicked during the time of Zechariah he says in verse 7 uh, which is known to the Lord neither day nor night but at evening time it shall happen that it will be Light, and so again punishment is going to come upon them but at the same time the wicked are going to be uh going to be spared and brought out we find in verse 8 of chapter 14 he says and in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from jerusalem half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea in both summer and winter it shall occur Now this, we find here that in the midst of all all this opposition, that his salvation is near. We saw this similar idea in Isaiah this morning. We we talked about how in the desert places, how a stream will burst forth, streams of water. And we find a similar usage here in verse 8, where his salvation is pictured as living waters that shall flow from Jerusalem. That is the idea that salvation and the and that hope comes from Jerusalem. Do you remember where they began preaching and teaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost? It was in Jerusalem. The word of the Lord went forth from Jerusalem. Salvation, the gospel, went, began being preached at Jerusalem. And so we find a similar idea here used with the idea of salvation flowing forth from Jerusalem. It says half of them toward the eastern sea, half of them toward the western sea. Again, depicting uh, the gospel and the truth going out. Uh, for them, truth going out, salvation being made available to all those who are obedient. He says, in both summer and winter, it shall occur. Next, if we look at verses nine through eleven, we have here no fear for the faithful, only the wicked. In verses nine through eleven, looking at verse uh, verses nine through eleven here in the assurance, we find an assurance of Jehovah's protection. There will be no fear of a curse, as we find in verse nine and following. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, it shall be: the Lord is one, and His name one. All the land shall be turned into a plain from from uh, Geba to to Rimnon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place, from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate, and from the tower of, of Hannael to the king's winepress. The people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be shall there be utter destruction. But Jerusalem shall dwell safely inhabited and so we're, we're finding as we're going to see in verse 12 this plague that's mentioned here in a few moments that God's faithful though do not have to worry about that they're going to be their land will be turned into a plain it is they're going to be have no reason to fear safety is going to be given to them the people shall dwell in it verse 11 and no longer shall there be utter destruction but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited meaning there will be now be a safe place for Uh, for the faithful to dwell. Looking at verse 12 through verse 15, we find a curse is put upon those who war against Jerusalem, those who go against God's uh, faithful. Looking at verse 12, the Bible says, "...and this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve and their mouths, not a very pretty picture. Jer- Jehovah announces the plague will fall upon the people who war against Jerusalem. And the idea here, they are going to de- lose what? First, it affects their feet, it affects their eyes, and it affects their tongue. Meaning they'll, be, they'll be have no way to, to leave, their feet are affected, they can't obviously run away. Their eyes, their vision, their tongues, their speech, well, how, did God, how were God's people many times afflicted by their enemies? They ran at them and attacked them. They attacked them not only with violence, but also with their, with their words, and no doubt brought many evil things against them. Look at verse 13. He says here, And it shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. And so we see here God will turn the hand of every man, against his fellow man, and against his neighbor. That is, they're going to be fighting against one another. When God wants to punish people, he has all types of ways to make that happen. And turning people against one another is one way to do that. As you look at verses 14 and 15, we find here, the Bible says, Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together. Gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Such also shall be the plague on the horse; shall be the plague on the horse and in the mule, on the camel and the donkey, and all the cattle that will be in those camps. So this, so this, so shall this plague be. So we find here a, a strong, uh, really description and and figurative in sense of the victory of Jehovah's Church and the defeat of all the world, or defeat of all that will unite to fight against her. He pictures there in verses 14 and 15, Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Such also shall be the plague, the idea there being that all the things they possess, was well, going to come back against them. We talked about this morning how sometimes people uh, will reap what they sow or they eat their own words. It's the same idea here. Uh, verse 15: On the horse and the mule and the camel and the donkey and all the, and on all the cattle that will be in those camps, so shall this plague be. So the camp, so the plague is going to affect literally everything. In verse 15, their wealth, as it's mentioned in verse 14, and all their cattle. In verses 15, then as we look next in verse 16 and following, we find it now the things that belong, the things that belong to God. Are mentioned here. We're going to find everything is going to become basically holy to God as we look at verses uh, 16 and following. We find, as we look at verses 16 uh, and 17 here, the remnant of the nations will turn to the Lord. If we look at verse 16, here the Bible says, and shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast. Of the tabernacles, and so we find that underneath the Messiah, the converted Gentiles will be one. Of the will be one with the converted Jews, and the, and that both will worship the Lord according to His design. They're to go up and do what to keep the feast and to worship the King of the Lord of Hosts. So that is again a reference to God. As we look at verse seventeen here, He says, "And it shall be that which that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of Hosts." on them there will be no rain. And so we now we find he gets a little more specific. He says, if you don't come up and fall after God and worship me, give me the worship that is due to me, he says he's going to basically withhold any blessings, which include here in verse 17, the very basic necessity of rain. You think about how, what that means. What happens when you begin to withhold things like rain? Crops begin to dry up. People begin to run out of food because nothing can grow. Things begin to die. Animals begin to die. Plant life begins to die. And then people begin to die by just holding withholding rain. And so these will live in a, a perpetual spiritual desert because only in Christ, in their time period, only in God, could these blessings be found. For us today as Christians, we know that blessings are only found in Christ. And these individuals are not willing to obey God, so their basic blessings, the necessities of life, are even going to be withheld. As we look at verse eighteen, uh, verse eighteen and nineteen, he says, "And the family of Egypt will not will not come up and enter in. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment." of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So we find there in verse 18 and 19, it's really repeated that what's going to happen, those who do not come up and worship God, they're going to face His plague. Egypt has long symbolized the great enemy of God's people. As we know, that's where Israel was in bondage, and have been a symbol for bondage and for uh, captivity. Well, those who would not come up, well, they're going to face God's wrath, as you find there in verses 18 and 19. Those who will not worship God. If Egypt refused to go up, there would be no rain. Instead, Jehovah would punish them with a plague that is said of all nations who follow their example and refuse to keep the Feast of Thanksgiving or the Feast of Tabernacles there in verse 19. And we find similar ideas in Isaiah 60 in verse 12 and also in Micah chapter 5 in verse 15. Now these last two verses we find, as we began this section, in that day everything will be holy to Jehovah. Verse 20 says, in that day holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah yet shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in, and cook in them. And that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite, Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So in that day, everything that pertains to the kingdom of God will be holy to him. These will be, uh, be a, bear a similar relation to Jehovah as did the sacred priesthood of old, Holy to Jehovah was the engraving on their breastplate of gold, as you find in Exodus 28:36 through uh, 38. In verse 28, he says, "No Canaanites, uh, uh, no longer." Uh, he says, "In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of Hosts, and no Canaanite, one who is unclean and therefore devoted to destruction, can be found in the house of Jehovah." We would they mean that no one who is unfaithful to God can be a part of God's family. No one who is unfaithful to God can be a part of the Lord's church today. And those in the time period of Zechariah who were unfaithful to God, who would not keep his commands, who would not go up or do any of those other things God had described and, pro- and proclaimed through them, they would not be allowed to be a part, to be have a part of his family, be a part of the faithful, be a part of the remnant. Instead, they would face, face destruction. Some lessons for us to think about this evening. We find, we look at Zechariah chapter 14, that again the wicked are warned, and then they are punished. Over and over again we find this throughout the minor prophets. The wicked are warned and encouraged to to return. A plague awaits those who stubbornly refuse to abandon wickedness and to embrace righteousness. You go back and look through Zechariah, what was going to come upon them? He says a plague, that rain will be withheld. Even a plague would come upon their cattle, even upon uh, their silver and gold, meaning, meaning that wealth could not help them out of that situation, right? A plague, punishment, waited for the wicked. But also we find, as we have seen throughout the minor prophets, that there will always be some who remain faithful. Thus, the remnant. That small group who said, we're going to remain faithful to God. That would include those who would come out of their rebelliousness and come out of their sin and come back to God. They could be included in that remnant as well. There will always be some who remain faithful. The faithful have been small in comparison to the wicked, and this is seen throughout history, that the church, while we have many, many members throughout the world, in comparison to the wicked around us, we are small in number. That doesn't mean that we are doing anything that we shouldn't be doing. Numbers have never meant anything when it came to being right or wrong. The promises of God are realized and found in the church today. The promises of God can be seen in the church the promise of blessings, Christ mentions there in Matthew chapter six. That we will not be worried about everything else that's going on around us. Be worried about those everyday things, but we instead will seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all those things will be added to us. Matthew chapter six. Again, blessings from God. Ephesians chapter one tells us that all spiritual blessings are in Christ. Again, in the church, in the body of Christ. So all those spiritual blessings come to be realized for us today in the church, a part of the body of Christ. Worship is about God, as we find there in toward the end of chapter 14 of Zechariah. God wanted them to come up and to worship him and to partake of the Feast of Tabernacles. If they're going to be blessed by God, they had to do so. Worship is always about God and not about the worshiper. There are those, I'm sure, during Zechariah's time who did not come up, and when they do not come up, it's because of selfish reasons. And rebellion was was one of those reasons. Worship is according to God's design and his will and not man's. As we find throughout the prophet, throughout the Bible, we're talking about Old Testament time period or New Testament age in which we live in today, God has always had, has had a design, a pattern in place for how he is to be worshipped. And God never asked for input from man on how to be worshipped. He never went to us or asked any prophet or any man whatsoever, how do you want to worship me? God never said such things. God doesn't come to us and ask us, how do you want to come to me? How do you want to receive salvation? He never asked us that. Instead, God tells us how he wants to be worshipped, and he tells us his requirements for salvation. God does not ask us for input concerning, about, concerning things such as what we should do to be pleasing to him. He tells us what we need to do to be pleasing to him, and then it's up to us to decide we're going to do those things. Now, as I pointed out before, the minor prophets, none unlike other books, we find that history repeats itself time and time again, which tells us that mankind continues to struggle with the same old problems. And next week, as we begin to look at the last minor prophet, begin to look at Malachi, we find, again, some of those very same things. you read Malachi chapter 1, you'll find that things haven't really changed all that much. It doesn't matter what time period you're looking at, You're putting it in chronological order, whatever it is, the problem is still the same selfishness, rebellion, idolatry, all the list goes on. And every time God calls mankind back, warns him, warns him, and then ultimately punishes him. In the time of Zechariah, it wasn't any different. In the time of Malachi, we're going to see it's not any different. And for us today, it's not any different either. We may not face God's wrath while on the earth. The Bible tells us there is a day coming in which those who are not prepared for, those who are rebellious, are going to face that wrath. So let's make sure that we are prepared for that great day so we can avoid the wrath of God. This evening, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you in any way. We'd be glad to do so. Let's go. We stand and sing the song that's been selected.